0: Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today.
1: Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10
0: first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first or second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough through winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up everyone? Welcome to episode number 27 of the That's So Mets podcast. We are deep in the offseason right now. A lot of players coming off the board. A lot of trades have gone down. Even the money is starting to dwindle in terms of that cushion uh, between the luxury tax. So a lot to talk about today because as everybody awaits the New York Mets next big move, It seems like the Trevor Bauer rumors have really, really picked up again, which has kind of surprised a lot of people. I know uh, Joe and I on the show constantly say we don't expect the Mets to go over that luxury tax threshold this year. And if you sign Bauer, you're you're probably going over it. So there's a lot of rumors to dissect here. We will talk about a couple other things today. Real Muto is going back to the Phillies on a pretty big deal. I think it's five years, $115 million. Uh, The Mets appear to be interested in... A center field option, Jackie Bradley Jr., maybe even third base with Chris Bryant. And of course, we're going to take your questions today. But Joe, I want to bring you in here right away because you have been very vocal since the beginning on your thoughts on Bauer. There's all kinds of rumors around him and now the Mets. And just what have your thoughts been the last couple of days? Are you buying this stuff? Uh, Do you think that they really are trying to make a huge splash here after I guess, missing out on Springer. It seems like they wouldn't go to any extreme lengths to get him, but I think it's safe to say he they missed out on him as well.
1: I actually am buying it, believe it or not. And, you know, there's there's enough smoke here from multiple sources. Obviously, you could see Mark Feinstein, Andy Martino, uh, who else? Ken Rosenthal, and I, I guess Bob Nightingale. But, like, you know, people are talking about it and, you know, kind of – hearing around that there's something here. The Mets are no question in on Trevor Bauer as we stand today. Does that mean they will get him? Maybe not. I don't think the Mets are currently in a position where they are looking to outbid anyone for Trevor Bauer and be the top guy. So I think the Mets will be aggressive. And it sure sounds like, you know, I guess we asked the question, did we overstate the, the desire to stay under the tax maybe we did a little bit but all in all I think I think it is a real thing and if the Mets sign Bauer it it definitely could happen I, I wouldn't be stunned uh, but I guess it's ta- talking about Bauer just generally um, kind of I'm not a fan of the move I've made that very clear on Twitter you follow me you've seen it it's it's not a move that I want to see the Mets make. Uh, I certainly think if they were willing to blow past the luxury tax, which I clearly have no problem with. Um, I never once said, like, I don't want them to spend over a luxury tax. I just said, I don't think they will based on things that they essentially said. So if they go past it, I don't care. It's not my money. Steve Cohen's the one paying the fines and penalties, not me. Uh, but I, I guess really to just break down... Bauer I got some positives and then some questions and I'll start with the positives let's start off right I understand and I recognize that this is a legitimate possibility and I consider that a positive where it's like this is not in my opinion Bauer's camp using the Mets in any sense I think this is a genuine pursuit and it's just a matter of do they agree on a contract and that's kind of you know TBD of course um, and as a Mets fan, you know, Connor, you and I are both Mets fans. If they sign him, whether, whether I wanted him or not basically becomes irrelevant at that point. I'm going to root for him to do well. If he puts on a Mets jersey, just, you know, I hope he doesn't embarrass himself or the organization off the field in the process, but I'm obviously going to be rooting for him and there's no question he would provide a boost to the rotation Is he the 1A to Jacob deGrom? That's debatable, but he certainly would provide a stark upgrade over Steven Matz, for example. Uh, And it's clear that something did change with Bauer in 2017, really is when you saw his strikeouts per nine jump from eight to the double digits, and that's been sustained since. So he obviously made a change in regards to you know, spin rate and some other things that he does that led to higher strikeout numbers. So there's no question that Trevor Bauer has evolved. That's no question a factor. I just wonder, you know, is is he going to be the frontline guy going forward? And, you know, now we can go into the, the questions here. So admittedly, it is not the same thing as what Jared Porter did. So Please don't mistake me as saying I'm comparing the situations. But after what happened with Trevor Bauer, uh, with Jared Porter, can you really afford to take that character risk with Trevor Bauer? He does have a history of bullying or harassing, you know, women on Twitter. And he has a history of making, let's call them problematic statements online. Certainly he's made a a couple things about Native Americans not racist per se, but certainly problematic. Um, But that should be an issue regardless. It should be even more of an issue that they're vetting now after Porter. Uh, He's been open about the fact that he wants to pitch every fourth day. That is something that he feels strong about, and he put in his YouTube video that that's something that he considers very important to for his, you know, next destination. How are you going to work out pitching Trevor Bauer every fourth day when Noah Syndergaard comes back? Who are you telling that you're skipping in the rotation on a fairly regular basis to kind of meet Bauer's desires? Are you telling Degrom that you're skipping him? Carrasco, Stroman, Syndergaard. You could skip Syndergaard from time to time, I guess, because he's coming off Tommy John, but. It drastically changes how the Mets would operate if they were to sign him and, you know, meet kind of what his demands. You know, he's being public about it, so you have to assume he's serious about it. But then on the field, you know, like I said, I think things have changed with him. And I can't rule out the possibility that Trevor Bauer will be a frontline pitcher for the foreseeable future. There's also a very real possibility that he's not. And, you know, a lot of people say to ignore the history, he changed. And, you know, people are just very selective, certainly when they're trying to make their points. And, you know, I have people in my mentions that say basically forget everything before 2018. And 2019, he dealt with a bit of an ankle issue. So that could be why he was bad there. So basically just rule out anything bad and only focus on the good. And the reality is, you know, he's... He's had an ERA over four every season of his career, except for 2018, 2018 and the shortened 2020. So how many excuses are we going to make for this guy? You know, like I said, I'm acknowledging his upside. I'm acknowledging what he could potentially do. But if I'm about to dole out 30, 35, 37 million dollars a year to a guy... I need to it needs to be so painfully obvious that this guy is worth this money. We shouldn't be having a debate about him on field or off field. This is This is different money. You know, George Springer, the Mets were willing to offer him $20 million a year and they got outbid by the Blue Jays at 25. You're talking about offering Trevor Bauer fifteen million dollars a year more than you offered George Springer. And you know, the term might be shorter and all that stuff. I I get all that. But uh, it seems like this is a massive risk. And, you know, maybe Steve Cohen's feeling, feeling risky and, you know, ready to go for it. But to me, I just think the risk is too high. And I don't know, will he combust in New York City? I mean, if he goes and gives up six runs and a couple starts in a row and the New York Post starts writing bad things about him and people on Twitter start getting after him, how's he going to react? I just have too too many concerns to say, like, I'm going to back this signing. But if they do it, I have no choice but to hope he does well and hope they made the right decision. But it's it's just a lot of questions to make this level of an investment in my eyes.
0: I think it's all fair. I think what you said is all fair. It's not, you know, and there's a reason he's not going to get nine years. It's not Garrett Cole, right? Where you're looking at it and going, okay, we've seen a track record here that we feel comfortable going to a place that you, you just don't really see, especially in baseball, quite often. And I think obviously, you know, part of it is that Cole was a year younger on the market. I think that obviously helps, but I think also, I mean, he was really coming off of two tremendous back-to-back seasons, and before that has had others, and I think that different type of people, right? Now, I have a lot of thoughts here, both good and bad. If they do this, if he can even come close to replicating the 11 starts he made in 2020. I'm not expecting a Cy Young season. I'm not expecting a sub-2 ERA. He was at 173 with an absurd 12.3 strikeouts over nine. I mean, the numbers are insane. Oh, Bauer
1: earned the Cy Young this year. Like, there's no question he was the best pitcher in the National League. So I'm taking nothing away. It's just, you know, obviously sample size, but I'll let you continue. Well,
0: he pitched against a lot of bad teams. I will say that he did. I mean, it's just... Call it what it is. He pitched against a lot of bad teams. A couple starts against the Pirates. And that's baseball, right? You're going to pitch against those bad teams. I I don't, it's not like I think he just beat up on bad teams. I'm just stating what happened. I'm not expecting him to replicate that. But if you get him sub three ERA, then you truly have a number two behind a Grom. And here's my take on the whole situation. Number one, I have. I don't think it's over two years what they're offering him. I don't. I really don't think it is. I think they are offering him a two-year deal that is still under $100 million total. I would say they're probably offering him a two-year $68 million deal. And sure, I'm guessing that the total value... But I don't think they're looking to get into the five-year, four-year range with Trevor Bauer. I just don't think they're doing that. Number one, if anybody signs Trevor Bauer to a four- or five-year deal, I don't think he'll finish the deal out wherever he is. I think he'll get. I think he'll just burn out of places. He kind of has that, and there's so many examples. The most recent one that came to my mind, which is so random, is Jim Harbaugh feel like he was so successful with the Niners in such a short span of time and then just burned everyone out and left. And that's why he he has at the college level where you, your players are there for three to five years and and that's that. He's just somebody that just burns people out, and I think that I mean there's a reason why somebody that good was was traded when he was, and so I think that I like the here's what I like. I like the idea of signing somebody you believe has figured it out as a frontline starter, right? At, if you're the Mets doing this, you, your scouting department and, and your personnel people at top, obviously Sandy, the most important, think that he is at a minimum a number two starter, which is a huge, would be a huge get for the New York Mets. A huge get for the New York Mets. Number two, you're trying to sign him on a deal that is in this DeGrom window where you have the best pitcher in baseball right now. And, and who knows how much longer he can be that where you want to find DeGrom that, you know, the Robin to the Batman scenario. You're doing it on a window that, while yes, the money will be very, very high, whatever the annual average is. I don't think the Mets are giving him the term that he wants, where I'm not going to call it risk-free because that's not right and that's not fair. But if this is a one- or a two-year deal, the risk is mitigated significantly. It really, really is because... That money just comes off the book. If it doesn't work, you're like, all right, well, the money's off the books next year or year after. And if it does work, you're going, okay, we, we got one or two great years out of Trevor Bauer, and now we think Matt Allen's ready, or we'll look to the market somewhere else, or or Syndergaard is healthy and under contract, and we're gonna figure it out. So those are the things that that makes sense to me. And like you said, Joe, I'm a Mets fan. I will root for this. I'm not. I'm just not going to jump off the ship. We've said it from the beginning. Bauer was not on our list of hey, like we wanted Lindor, wanted Springer, wanted Real Muto or McCann. You know, get catching help, all those things. Wanted Stroman back. With Bauer, I, I think he's the risk of all risk of this free agent market, where uh, you know there's there's on field risk, there's off field risk. Personally, as somebody that covers and and grew up a New York Jets fan. What I saw with Jamal Adams, I get some of those feelings with Trevor Bauer. It's not the same level, but man, I saw a dude that could not handle New York, could not handle any kind of losing, could not take any of the blame, and just burned everything down and got out of town. And there are some personality traits with Bauer and Jamal Adams that are pretty similar. They are guys that... This stuff doesn't really bother me, but they are definitely guys that want to be the center of attention, that in a lot of moments think they're bigger than the team. Throwing the ball over the center field fence when your manager comes to get you, that you think you're bigger than the team. You're bigger than the manager. I know I sound like an old get off my lawn kind of man here, and I'm not that. If you listen to any of my other stuff, I'm the furthest thing from it. But I I really do think Bauer is a bit of an eccentric character that I... I love the Mets clubhouse, and I don't know if you need to throw a stick of dynamite in the middle of it. I hope I'm wrong if they sign him. But if I was the guy at the top, I guess I would take the safe way out, and I'd go try to get Jackie Bradley at center, uh, add a bullpen arm, keep some wiggle room for the trade deadline to make a move, and, and just not... I guess I'd say play roulette right now. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something. I just think Bauer is such a roll of the dice, man, where if he was getting a one-year $35 million deal or a two-year $40 million deal, it's different. But I think there are mega bucks at stake here. And if you all along had this card in your back pocket that you're like, just kidding. We will go over the luxury tax. We don't care. I would have much rather seen you go the length to get Springer, go the length to, you know, take a flyer on a, another starter or a high-profile reliever. I I guess I'm, what my point is, Joe, I, if they sign him, I hope it works out. I see the thought process. If it's a two-year or one-year deal, anything longer than that, I don't understand at all. But I just think that I, out of all the risk you could have taken – this wouldn't have been mine, I'll say that. And we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't be mine and I agree with basically everything you said there. It's it is a a huge risk to throw him into this clubhouse that by all accounts seems like it's littered with great dudes that are team first, not, you know, personally driven. Just everyone seemingly wants to win and, you know, even Marcus Stroman speaks of You know, everyone on the rotation, when people talk about the rotation, he finds your tweets and, you know, he'll say, don't forget about David Peterson and, you know, don't forget about Mats." You know, this is a good group of guys. And by all accounts, what I will say in Bauer's defense is you don't see many former teammates coming out and speaking against him. So it's a possibility, I guess, that he's a little, you know, misinterpreted. Maybe we don't quite get him. Uh, And his eccentric personality is not so much of a big deal if he was consistently performing at an elite level. So you know this from football. I've seen it with my Cowboys signing guys, and you know certainly you see it in baseball too, where it's like people will take character risks if they know for a fact what they're getting from you at an elite level on the field. And if you told me that we knew that Trevor Bauer was an ace... You know, the conversation could be a little different, but we don't know that he's an ace. We know that he's an eccentric guy. We know that he's bullied slash harassed people online and kind of like sicked his followers on people. Like, that's the kind of stuff that isn't going to happen in New York. And it's not going to fly. And he doesn't take criticism well. And unless he's going to post, like you said, a 170 RA or something, he's going to get criticized in New York. That's just the way it is. I mean just just think of how the fans are reacting just generally like the Mets got Francisco Lindor the best shortstop in baseball they're gonna end up paying this guy 300 million dollars and people are still complaining that Steve Cohen isn't doing things it's just like there there isn't pleasing New York fans that's ultimately what I'm trying to get at and in a way that's a good thing right like in a way we just have such a strong desire for our teams to win that we're never satisfied but man, there's got to be a line somewhere. And I wouldn't pursue Bauer personally. I think they are. I think that there is a chance he ends up a Met. And the contract will be very interesting. Do they do they do three years and have an opt-out after year one? Because I imagine Bauer being the kind of guy that will want opt-outs in the deal. Or is like, do they convince the Mets to go to four and he has an opt-out after every single season? So that way, year one, if he doesn't want it, he could leave. Year two, he could leave. Year three, he could leave. Like, that's possible too. The structure will be particularly interesting to me. And yeah, we're keep. I guess, you know, buckle your seatbelts because Mets and Bauer is a real thing. I don't know if they'll get him, but there is no question in my mind that this could happen.
0: Well, here's what my first question would be, if I was in the press hereafter to Sandy, I would say, did you consult with Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco before signing him? Now, obviously they haven't been thinking that because I saw Mike Puma said the offer the Mets made Bauer was weeks ago, which was probably before this trade even happened. But I will say this, I, I think now you have an ultimate advantage. I mean, the guys I know in the NFL do this all the time when they have, because players have very strong ties to their college. They go out during practice and they'll go talk to the you know guys they trust that are on the team already and be like, hey, what do you know about this dude at Florida, or what do you know about like would you would you want him here? Those are real things that you should you should be using to your advantage. And quite frankly, I mean, I, I don't. Carlos Carrasco doesn't strike me as a guy that would have a bad word to say about anyone. But I think if you have an honest conversation with Francisco Lindor, you say, listen, we want you here for the long haul, but there's another guy that you used to play with that, that we might bring here as well for the long haul. What, what were things like? You don't even have to ask him to sign off on it. You could just say, hey, what, were things, what was he like in this situation? What was he like in the clubhouse? What was he like with the other starters? How did he treat the younger guys? How did he take coaching? Because everybody knows he doesn't apparently like to be coached. Uh, there's just a lot of things here where I think you have to do your due diligence. And if they go out and sign them, I will assume they did. And, and it'll be very interesting to watch play. And I can't believe we're even having this conversation where the Mets could be offering a guy almost a hundred million dollars. And we're like, please don't. Or, yeah. or I'm scared. <laughs> it, it's definitely uh,
1: quite the tides have turned. But, you know, we're we're trying not to be the spoiled rich kid whose daddy won Powerball and then feel that we're owed a Bugatti tomorrow right like try to be try to be sensible but I think Carrasco actually was asked about Bauer in I don't know if it was his presser or like an interview he did after the fact and he seemed to be on board with it um at least publicly but like you said private conversations could be different than public conversations and frankly you know Lindor and Carrasco would be great resources because they played with them but then you go to the leaders of the team. You go to DeGrom. You go to Pete Alonso. You go to Michael Conforto. Those are the guys you ask too. And you ask Jake, like, Jake, would you be upset if we signed a pitcher that makes you know millions of dollars more than you? Like, would that bother you? I don't think and it is would.
0: Half as good
1: as you. Yeah, exactly. Nowhere near as good as you. Like, Jake. Jake seems like a team guy. I think winning is his priority. So I don't think he'd be upset. But I'd ask the question. And then, hey, Pete, you're kind of, you know, the locker room leader, so to speak. Like, how do you think he would gel? Like, would you be comfortable taking a guy like this based on, you know, information that we know? So there's a ton that goes into this. And like you said, if the Mets do this, I would hope that they have an answer for every question that I brought up at the beginning of this show and way more, because I'm sure there's plenty of things that I didn't remember or, or, or didn't throw in there so they better have answers for everything because this is going to be this is going to be a controversial signing you know francisco lindor was widely lauded this you know there'll be mets fans that are excited because i you know they're in my mentions i know there's gonna be met fans that love that they got trevor bauer but there's also a segment of this fan base that wants him under no circumstance like wouldn't take him for anything so you you are you're taking a big risk with your fan base you're taking a risk in the locker room and potentially a risk on the field too so I guess we'll see how it pans out but I I would advise that you keep your eyes on it because the Mets are definitely in
0: yeah I, I think that also just one last thing on this like there's just only so many times I could take it seriously When you and your agent are just riling up fan bases during free agency. Like, I totally understand having fun with this process. A lot of guys only get to do this once. A lot of guys don't get to do it at the level of notoriety that Bauer is getting to do it at. But at some point, man, like, it just gets old. Honestly, it really, really does. It's just, you get to a point where you're like, okay, I can only watch so many YouTube videos where you're trying on hats or you're ranking fan bases or it's it's all... And that's just my two cents on the thing where, I don't know, I I just don't really like you can make whatever YouTube videos you want during the season when you're on the Mets. I really, really don't care. I just think that there's something there where it's like, come on, uh, you know, I don't know. That's just my two cents on it. I just I I guess I went into this offseason like, man, if you get Bauer, like it's worth the gamble because he might be a great pitcher to the point where I'm so burned out by the end of the offseason of like all his content and stuff that I'm just like man if the Mets pay him he better be awesome <laughs>
1: 100% he be- if he's going to talk all this stuff he he better show up so yeah i mean we're going to find out and I-, I think i think we gave everyone some perspective here cuz i think too often people are either i guess too focused off the field like there's people that say i don't care if he wins cy young three straight years You know, that wouldn't matter to me. There's people that are like that. And there's people that don't care about off-field at all, where they're just like, I'm a Mets fan. I only care if he performs. So there's two sides of the coin. And, you know, I I think we tried to give a a balanced perspective of the risks and potential rewards of both.
0: Sure. There's pros and cons. Don't get me wrong. If this signing goes down, we will get on the pod and be like, hey, in a best case scenario, this could be something that, vaults the Mets to a postseason run I mean you, we've seen it in very recent years if you have three starters in your rotation that can that can be frontline guys in big games in the postseason it can be the difference between you being bounced in the first round and you winning a World Series or making a World Series so there's a lot there and, and let's let's get away from Bauer for a bit because I think that was a good half hour on you know the highs and lows, and and something that might happen, something that might not even matter in, in a couple of weeks. Who knows? A couple of days. Who J- knows? <laughs> a couple of days. J- yeah, when do you think it? When do you think he signs, Joe? Do you uh, think it's coming soon?
1: Uh, it seems like there's so much smoke that something has to be coming relatively soon. Uh, but Bauer's so unpredictable. Like it wouldn't shock me if he signs before we finish this podcast, and it wouldn't shock me if he signs March first. Legitimately, like I. I have no idea what to expect, but there seems to be some noise coming out, and typically noise comes out publicly when things are getting seemingly closer.
0: Yeah, I thought it was interesting that, you know, there was a report from USA Today that was like, hey, the the Mets are, have offered him a contract that would make him the highest paid player in baseball, and then you have a lot of very obvious Mets-based you know, based reporters or guys with Mets sources saying that's not true. And then you have another reporter, you know, Puma came out and was like the Mets did offer Bauer, but it was weeks ago. It it seems like there is some kind of ploy at hand where maybe someone like the Angels or Dodgers or Jays or whoever it is, is they're trying to get a couple more dollars out of them. So who knows? But a guy that did sign this week and and that was on the Mets radar before the offseason, JT Realmuto back with the Phillies. Pretty big contract. I think it was it's kind of right in the middle, right? If you're, if you're a fan that wanted him, you were saying, hey, he's a 30-year-old catcher. Can we get him on a four-year deal? And if you're realistic about Real Muto and his vision, you're probably thinking he wants a six-year deal. Well, he gets a five-year deal, which is very strong for a catcher that will be on the wrong side of 30 soon, but is out, undoubtedly the best in baseball and a difference maker. And somebody that if the Phillies lost him, they would have been in even bigger, bigger trouble heading to this year. So I think from the Mets side of this, Joe and I have talked about this during the day off the air, that, you know, this was still well played by the Mets. They couldn't risk... Imagine if the Mets didn't have a catcher today. We're almost in February. The Mets are sitting here and they don't have a catcher, and then this happens. Like, the real Muto's camp could have just kept squeezing every dollar out of the Mets to get more dollars on the other side, and then it turns out, hey, he didn't want to go to New York anyway. McCann's probably gone by now already. Joe, I know you kind of saw eye to eye with me on this. While Real Muto is absolutely a more exciting option than McCann, the Mets strategy in all of this made way too much sense. Yeah, the Mets absolutely
1: played it right. And I understand, you know, Real Muto got a perfectly fair contract. I mean, he got five years and 115.5 million. That 0.5 being very significant because... That put him at $23.1 million per season, which passes the previous catcher record set by Joe Maurer, formerly of the Twins, of $23 million per year. So that extra 100 k just kind of to make the point that I'm the highest-paid catcher of all time. So I think all in all it was fair. Good deal for Philly. Like you said, I think it would have been a disaster for them if they did not uh, resign Real Muto. So I think it works for the team think it works for the player. And, you know, as far as the Mets go, they had to make a decision. And, you know, in early December, I think it was, whenever James McCann signed, McCann was ready to sign right then and there. J.T. Realmuto was not. I think if if Realmuto was willing to take this contract in early December, the Mets probably would have done it. I really think so. And he wasn't ready to play, and McCann was. So they made the move because, like you said, if they passed on McCann and said, we're going to wait out Real Muto and see if we could get him, you know, a value that makes sense. And that's the guy we want. Then McCann would have went to the angels or, or some other team. And then we'd be sitting here today and Real Muto would have had the Mets bent over a barrel to basically say, if you want me to come to New York, it's going to be six years at 25 million a year or whatever, or whatever he could have thought. Like the Mets would have been forced to essentially give him whatever it is that he wanted And they weren't ready to play that game, and I don't blame them. And so, to me, it worked out for everyone. And I'm just glad Real Muto didn't go to the Braves. That was certainly a rumor. And the Braves, I mean, the Braves are the Mets' probably biggest competition where we stand today in the division. And imagine if they added Real Muto to that fold. That that could have been like a backbreaker. So, I think Real Muto went to the Phillies, who are going to be probably a solid team, but I don't think they're really on the Braves or Mets tier right now. So yeah, all in all good for JT, good for the Phillies. And I still think the Mets did the right thing.
0: Yeah. You just couldn't, couldn't afford, you know, in a year where there's not a lot of catching options on the market. And there clearly is not many on the trade market as well. I agree with you. I think if real Muto came out and said, Hey, this is my number from the beginning. The Mets would have been like, okay, sure. I'm sure his camp was surprised when the Mets got the McCann deal done that quickly and they were just out right away. Because this is a really good contract for him. But he he, there was thoughts he could have got 125, 130, 140, maybe squeeze it to six years. I mean, that's how talented and how good this guy is. So it, it all really comes down to strategy. And I think the question now for the Mets, and we kind of do this on every show, but now that we're getting to the, towards the end of the off season is where do they go from here? Right. You're hearing the Bauer stuff and I, I'm still skeptical of that. We'll see you. We know real Muto is, is off the market to the Phillies, which probably takes them out of making a lot more moves. Brad hand went to the nationals and as they always do, they deferred the money over the next couple of years. Cause the nationals never pay anyone all their money up front. Um, So, you know, there's rumors around the Mets possibly still looking in on Jackie Bradley Jr., which would give them a starting center fielder with phenomenal defense. And he's coming off of a good offensive season, uh, his best offensive season of his career. You know, there's there's obviously, you know, some bench options out there. Chris Bryant's name kind of surprised. We haven't seen any movement there, not Mets related, just in general where What are you thinking right now, Joe? It, how did the Mets round out what was so far a pretty exciting and successful offseason?
1: This DH thing really complicates things. I mean,
0: I can't believe uh, it's still going on. It's
1: crazy. And at this point, it's you know posturing now by MLB and trying to use the public. I, I still I still will maintain I think there will be a dH in two thousand and twenty one. And I think you see some teams kind of operating in that light. I mean, the Mets signing Jose Martinez, who doesn't really have a position, but can rake. Uh, The Nationals signing Kyle Schwarber, can't really play a position, but can rake. So I think you see some teams kind of, even though MLB said not to, kind of operating that they think it'll work out. So I still think there will be a DH. But to me, Jackie Bradley Jr. is the next move. I mean, yeah, you're a little left-handed, but you know, you face primarily right-handed pitchers anyway, and you could bring in a right-handed compliment, not necessarily platoon per se, but just a, a really tough lefty. You could give, give Bradley a break and play. I know Albert Almora is a name that's been mentioned. I don't think he's particularly good, but if you tell me he's the fourth outfielder, I could stomach it. Uh, Chris Bryant propping up popping up is interesting. You know, we know Sandy Alderson Not really much of a fan of J.D. Davis. He kind of made that clear, talking about he's the third baseman for now. So I think Bryant is, and maybe if they miss on Trevor Bauer, they go, all right, we're willing to go over to tax. I mean, if they're willing to sign Bauer, then they're willing to go over to tax. Maybe they say, all right, let's see if we could swing Chris Bryant, send a little money back their way, whether that's a Familia, a Batansis or something, Steven Matz or whatever. You know, and... Bring Chris Bryant in for call it ten to fifteen million dollars, and then sign Bradley. You, you know you still need you know another pitching arm or two, but it puts you over the tax, but doesn't put you very far over the tax. And what I think might be interesting, and I think the Bauer conversation really starts this: is the Mets are clearly not done at starting pitcher, and I don't think it's only a Trevor Bauer thing. John Heyman said after Garrett Richards signed with the Red Sox that the Mets were in on Garrett Richards until the very end. And no one talked about that. No one knew. So I think the Mets are seriously monitoring the, you know, back end of rotation type arms. You know, are they in on a James Paxton? Are they in on a Taiwan Walker? You know, they might be in on those kind of guys with the intention of flipping Matt somewhere else or moving Mats to the pen and putting Joey Lucchese in AAA as further depth. So I don't think they're done at starting pitching, whether that's Bauer or maybe someone, you know, just a little lower down on the totem pole. I hope that they do what is necessary to lock in Jackie Bradley Jr. You know, that that's what's going to make a big difference for this team. They can hit They can afford if Jackie Bradley is a so-so hitter that just gives you a home run here and there, steals a few bags. You know, he's not incompetent at the plate. He's just inconsistent. But you add his glove to Lindor's glove, putting Nimmo in left field, that's improving left field to be an above average position. And then if James McCann is better than Wilson Ramos. So we'll we'll see how good James McCann really is behind the plate. The sample size you know, beg some questions. But the defense of this team would be drastically improved. The pitching of this team, even if they don't add any more, is improved from 2020 because you had Str- uh, Stroman opt out. Uh, you didn't have someone like Carrasco. Syndergaard's going to be back this year, and he missed all of last year. So your pitching will be improved, and your offense still can hit. So the Mets, the Mets can be a serious competitor without a Trevor Bauer or even a Chris Bryant. But, yeah, I don't think they're done. And, you know, we're, we're getting close here to spring training maybe. You know, may or may not get delayed. We'll see. Uh, but if it doesn't, we're a couple weeks away. So the Mets got some
0: stuff to do and not a ton of time to do it. Well, I think what's kind of funny in a sense is it's we really haven't, and people haven't in general. I saw MLB Network did do a really good – feature on it but francisco lindor alone is such a difference maker defensively for this team like with you know jimenez was good rosario really had his struggles in the field but lindor how great he is defensively alone right now makes things so much more exciting i think having guillarme be your utility glove off the bench is is really good Where, you know, it's, it's easy for me to get behind signing Jackie Bradley Jr. and living with his streaky hitting, you know, sometimes non-existent, uh, and being a, he's a left-handed bat, isn't he? Which is not what the Mets are trying to get right now, but still he's so good defensively that you're like, wow, the Mets have a super plus defender at short, a super plus defender at center. Nimmo is much better in the corner like it, if there's a DH, Dom is a way better club at first base than Pete. That would get me really, really excited. And it's, I know it's not the sexiest thing to talk about, but I think it's, it's something that would make a significant, significant difference. So let's get into some of the questions. Um, cause as always, you guys have just been phenomenal sending them in really, really appreciate how much activity we've seen, uh, from the questions. So all right, the first one for today is from Austin Lambert. It seems like the Mets want to upgrade third base. Who are some realistic possibilities by trade or free agency?
1: We, of course, mentioned Chris Bryant, and I think that could be a thing. If Trevor Bauer falls apart, I do think the Mets can uh, circle back on Bryant. You could look at guys like I've mentioned Marcus Semien on the show in in the past, who seemingly it sounds I kind of like God about him. Yeah, it sounds like he prefers to play shortstop, but he may have, you know, an open mind to playing third. A guy like Tommy Lestella could be available who who is a free agent and is a local guy. And an even interesting idea that I've seen people talk about on Twitter a bit and I've done a little digging on it and I shrugged my shoulders I go, yeah, it actually makes some sense. How about Jeff McNeil as a third baseman? And then second base is open. How about you sign a Colton Wong to a one year deal? Want to talk about improving defense? The Mets would have the best up the middle defense in baseball. If they added Colton Wong, Jackie Bradley in center, and then you have, you know, Lindor, obviously, that is, you know, elite second base defense, elite shortstop defense, elite center field defense. And it's funny, I had someone bust my chops. I guess I used the word elite a lot, and sorry, but. That would be elite so screw it. Uh, but yeah those are, those are a couple options and I think the Colton Wong one is, is one to one to Cimarron.
0: What about Justin Turner?
1: <sighs> I mean <laughs> maybe uh, he, he he obviously fits he's a right-handed bat he could play third base. He's a little long in the tooth. I don't and he wants potentially four years. Uh, yeah he's 36 yeah I think I'm out on Justin Turner and frankly I know things with him in the Mets didn't end so great granted different people in charge different things now so that could be water under the
0: bridge but sometimes people don't forget grudges I guess you know what's insane Joe because I have the free agency tracker pulled up CBS Sports does a really good uh, a really good one 14 of their top 25 Free agents in baseball are unsigned right now. 14. And it's almost February. That's insane. Insane. And,
1: you know, that leads me to believe that you're going to see some steals here. And that's why, and Sandy even said it at one of the pressers recently where it's like, we don't want to wait until the end to do everything, but we want to save some room for the end because there's going to be people that wait out a market thinking that something's going to come to them. And then it just doesn't, and they have a choice of having a job or not having a job. And that's, unfortunately, like it's crappy, and I always side with players over team, but if you're running a team, that's not the worst strategy is wait it out, and there's going to be people that fall through the cracks that are quality players that it's like, hey, this is what we could give you, and it gives you a job. What do you think?
0: Yeah, it's that's just jarring, honestly, to look at that and see that much talent, out there that doesn't really cost you anything besides money and of course you could lose a draft pick if you get a, a really super premium guy but, i think i think bauer's the only qualifying offer guy left right i think yeah he's the last one yeah so god that is there's a lot of talent out there for everybody that thinks the off season is over i mean marcelo zuna is still out there i know he's mostly he need,
1: a dh dude he need he need, if there's someone if there's someone that needs the DH to be universal, it's Marcelo Ozuna. Because Nelson Cruz, I think, really wants to go back to the Twins, but he wants the other teams to bump up his price for the twins. I think he wants to stay there. But Marcelo Zuna, like, he needs it because he he can't play the outfield. He can't field anymore. Yeah. He
0: cannot field. All right, the next one from One Shining Mets always sends us really good stuff. Would you rather the Mets trade for Kane or Hater? Kane slash Hater, maybe a package deal. And stick with J D at third or trade for Suarez and Gray and stick with Nimmo in center? That's a great question.
1: Very fun one. I'm going to pick the Kane and Hater side, uh, just because I value up the middle defense over third base defense. I I'm more willing to tolerate what J D gives me at third base than what Brandon Nimmo gives me in center. And Lorenzo Kane, guys, an older guy, of course. He's in his mid thirties now and he's got this year and next year left but and he basically opted out this this past season I think he played two or three games or something and then and then opted out so he basically didn't play and but before that you know in 2019 Lorenzo Cain was the best defensive center fielder in baseball so I mean uh, it's possible that he falls off a cliff athletically and his defense regressed overnight but you know so there's a risk there that you're having a guy that's long in a tooth and now all of a sudden he's not a center fielder either and then you just wasted assets and money and then Josh Hader obviously has his own off the field stuff I mean I don't know how many risks we want to take there but obviously one of the most dominant relievers in baseball so I take that side that side and you know we've talked up Suarez and Gray I love love those guys if the Mets got them I'd be ecstatic but I, I can't do up the middle defense bad and that's you know that's old and new school, right? Up the middle defense is where where you win. So I'll take my chances about JD at third versus Nimmo in center.
0: I'm shockingly gonna go with the opposite answer than you. I do agree. It it's gonna be tough to go into the season with Nimmo as the center fielder. It's just hard. I don't do you go get Marisnik as your fourth outfielder and, and really put him in the lineup some days where you need extra defense out there and and just take the hit in the lineup because you're so beefed up. That's something they would really have to figure out. But I am so intrigued by Suarez at third, the pop he brings through an already really strong lineup and adding the depth of Gray in the rotation. I mean, if you look at this rotation, you add him in that rotation, you can now afford an injury. You can afford not banking a lot on Cindergaard's return. There's a lot you could do there where that trade package excites me more. I'm scared of trading again for a reliever. I really am. And I don't, I like Kane. I hope the Mets do call and and show interest in him. I do think the wheels are going to fall off the bus there at some point. I don't know when it's going to be. Maybe you do get one more, you know, gold glove caliber center field year out of him. But, man, I don't know if you can make the money work, but if if I could write my dream finish of the offseason, it would be to sign Jackie Bradley Jr. and make the Suarez and Gray trade. I don't know how you do I guess you send back, like, a really elite prospect and need them to take Familia's money. I don't really know how you do it, but that's that's such a cop-out answer to this question, but that's my dream scenario. Hey, it's, it's about time I'm we disagree. I'm honest. Dis- it's about time we disagree. I feel like... we always agree yeah i feel
1: like we just we agree a lot which maybe isn't the best recipe for podcasting
0: um but no we got a baseball season to cover don't worry there's gonna be because they're gonna bring diaz in and he's gonna give up a game and i'm gonna freak out and you're gonna call me down no he's not not. yeah so we're get out of here we're gonna get there (laughs) we're gonna get there i'll tell you that right now the next one from from james costanzo that was a great question those are legitimate trade packages, but this one from James Costanzo. Uh, speaking of Lasting's Millage, <laughs> Joe posted a Lasting's Millage pic of him high fiving the fans uh, on the That's So Mets Twitter account, which you all should follow. I don't. The pictures on it alone are worth it. It's hilarious. Uh, who are the Mets prospects? This is a great one. You most believed in before they went bust. I have a million, but he <laughs> listed Millage, Ike Davis. Fernando Martinez, that's a gem. Yeah, that that's uh, that's, that's my big that's one that's Martinez. the big one. Gavin sacchini think... Ahmed Rosario, and then all of Generation K. All
1: right, so Fernando Martinez obviously tops the list. I mean, he was supposed to be an absolute superstar, and I saw him in Double A and didn't see anything to suggest he wouldn't be, and it just didn't work out. I I don't think. What do you can... think it was? I I just think he got overmatched once he got to. Triple A in the major leagues. I think he just had a line that he got overmatched on the field. And then I think it did get to him a bit that he was, you know, the next coming superstar. Some people can handle that. Some people can't. I think that was big for him. I think it's unfair to call Ike Davis a bust. I mean, he had an over 30 home run season in the major leagues. I don't think he was a bust. He just didn't have the sustained success that we expected and he had the valley fever and he had all the other stuff go wrong what a weird
0: career yeah a weird, weird weird
1: career um i won't i don't talk about generation k because like i was too little or you know i understand what they were and obviously that did not pan out as expected but one that i'm gonna mention that michael i think if you really followed the mets draft and prospects as long as i have you know you'll remember reese havens so they drafted Reese Havens in the. The Mets had two first round picks, uh, in the year that they got Ike Davis first, and then they got Reese Havens second. And Reese Havens was a second baseman of the University of South Carolina. And I remember at the time the Red Sox really wanted him, which made me even more convinced because the Red Sox were just pumping out talent. I was like, oh, if the Red Sox really wanted him and he didn't make it to them, then the Mets clearly made a right call and. You know, this is a guy that he was one of the better pure hitters I've seen in the minor leagues, truly. He just had so many injury problems that it just it just never it just never worked out for him. But I I was convinced that Reese Havens was gonna be at minimum and above average everyday second baseman for a long period of time, but injuries got in the way and, and it didn't pan out. But yeah, those are a couple that really jump out to me. But like you said, the, the list is really long. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, Fernando Martinez is the one that I remember, like, looking at it. So when the hype really started with him, I mean, you had him in A in 2007. And I would say that's when, you know, I was I was young. I was in, in high school. But I, I remember, like, hearing the name, right? And that's when, you know, I don't know, the, like, message boards were big and, like, communities. Like, you, Mets fans talked about him. As like this untouchable trade piece. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe. Uh, yes. Wasn't the big win in the Santana deal is that he wasn't in it?
1: Yes. They, so they convinced Minnesota to take Carlos Gomez instead. And then the Mets also gave Phil Umber, Kevin Mulvey, who was a second round pick by the Mets out of Villanova. And that never, I mean, he had a little big league success and Phil Umber, I think, threw a no hitter for... Um, Minnesota, I think. He did. Or the White Sox. No, he was was on the White Sox maybe when he threw it. But yeah, that ultimately was the package. But the Mets keeping Fernando Martinez out of it, everyone was just like, bravo, like excellent job. And, you know, Gomez had a good career and Fernando Martinez really didn't have one. And before we, uh, you know, continue on with more of this, just to break some news on Twitter, Marcus Simeon to the Toronto Blue Jays per per John Heyman. So the Blue Jays don't stop. But yeah. now that now that begs the question, if Simeon's going to the Blue Jays, Buster only said the other day, according to executives or informed opinion or whatever, guess is Chris Bryant goes to the Mets or the Blue Jays. Maybe you scratch that second team off now.
0: Yeah, I'm curious to see the money there on that deal. Man, they're they a little crowded, aren't they, the Blue they, Jays? They are a little crowded
1: in the infield. They have, obviously, Bichette, Biggio, where is Vlad Guerrero going to play? He lost 30 pounds. so Nowhere. He, he, <laughs> well, he, he actually has like the hands for third base. He just got really fat and now he lost supposedly 30, 35 pounds. So now he really wants to play it, but you could also put him at first base. So, I mean, they, they have some level of flexibility, but yeah, a, inter, interesting fit. And oh, money too. Wow. Talk about being able to be on Twitter and podcasting at the same time. <laughs>
0: it's a beautiful
1: per, thing. Per Jeff Passan, infielder Marcus Semyon is in agreement with the Blue Jays on a one-year, $18 million deal.
0: So he went for the um, the, one the, year, big number, big, the big number, the no term. Yep. Ah, man, I out of all the free agents, I that one surprises me. I thought he would have been like, you know what? I'm just going to take what I can get on the longest term possible.
1: Yeah. And on average, that's what people do, right? It's just like, look, I'm going to guarantee myself the most money over the longest period of time and lock myself in. But there's people that take the one year with the money and apparently kind of hilarious, I guess, is former Met legend Carlos Baerga broke this on his Instagram (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh wow. All right. I don't,
1: uh, I, I don't I don't know the relation between Carlos Bayerga and Marcus Semien, but there you go. We we gotta move. So I mentioned Semyon earlier. Let's just scratch that.
0: Yeah. I think when you look at it, he's a guy that a free agency for him was one year earlier. He's probably looking at a four-year, eighty million dollar deal, three year sixty million dollar deal. I think he's a twenty million dollar per-year player over over a three- to four-year stretch coming off that season of hitting 33 home runs, batting 285, you know, getting oh, yeah. on base at a he was, great cl- – I mean, he just had a monster 2019, yeah. and, and the shortened season just just killed his value.
1: Yeah, he was top five in MVP voting, so I totally agree. But, yeah, anyway, continue on with the uh, prospects. Man,
0: I just don't see the door opening for Chris Bryant anywhere. That's not the Mets. And I'm not saying the Mets will do it. I'm just saying – I. They're running out of options, Cubs places ju-
1: to. Cubs could just keep them until the deadline and and see. Mm-hmm. You know that's possible that's fair. too.
0: So back to the question about prospects. For me, it's I know Fernando Martinez is a good one that comes to mind. It's still Lasting's Millage to me because he was in an era of where like you you only heard about prospects when they came up on TV for me on TV, and when Millage came up in 2006, number one, the Mets were a powerhouse. Like they had become a powerhouse then, or at least one of the contenders in baseball, where you're like, wait, now we have this guy coming up who's supposed to be a five-tool stud, and just the energy—he uh, was fun. He had speed, he had power, he had an arm. I mean, the funniest thing with Millage is after two years with the Mets, and he gets tra- he goes to the Nationals. He wasn't really that bad. I mean, he he plays a full season with the Nationals because at this point, they're just looking for guys to play. He plays 138 games, almost 600 at-bats. I mean, he hits 268. He steals 24 bases. He hits 14 home runs. He drives in over 60 runs. You know, and then, I don't know. He just wasn't, he wasn't terrible. I mean, in the Pirates, he batted 291 in 58 games. 277 in 113 games and then he was pretty much done in baseball so there was obviously things I think it's safe to say I don't know if it was work ethic or I don't know it's just, he is just a strange career like he was never like Fernando Martinez could literally not hit he couldn't get above the Mendoza line couldn't hit for power couldn't really do anything it he just didn't belong in base in the major leagues after such a promising minor league career with Millage, it's not that he was lost. He just it just didn't work. And I it would make for a really good mini documentary one day. What the heck went on with him? And the Mets I don't know. And the Mets traded him for the
1: legend. So Brian Church and Brian Schneider. And Brian Schneider is now the quality control coach and catching instructor for the Mets. So he's on the big league staff this year.
0: It's just crazy. Yeah, it really, really is. And you know, and I, I, and I don't know. I guess I'm wrong to assume that it could have been a work ethic thing, but something's just missing there with yeah. Millage. Yeah. I yeah,
1: it's just it's weird. It's it's so tough to really hammer home why each individual person is a bust because or whatever you use the word bust. I, I feel like that's really mean, especially mm-hmm. if they did something. Like if they did something, then it's you know they just didn't live up to expectations. Uh, I mean everyone's different, they have different reasons why it does, doesn't work, and, you know, some people just get exposed by big league pitching, or get exposed by the media, especially, I mean, especially when we're talking about Mets prospects, like, coming into New York, you know, we always talk about how the New York market's tough, and all this stuff, but it really is on these kids, especially where some of them, you know, are from small towns in, you know, Georgia, or whatever, and, You know, it's a culture shock thing. So, it's there's just there's just too many ways to really like define what makes a bust. It could happen in so many ways.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting. Um, You know, and it's interesting when teams give up, right? Like I think the Mets with Millage, I remember like that return at the time wasn't bad. It was clear that the Mets were selling low on a guy that had superstar potential, but they brought back guys that can play. Then you have guys that <laughs> there's just no value there, right? Like, even look at, I mean, a good example is Rosario a little bit. Like, Rosario was in a package for Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. I wouldn't call Rosario a bust, but I wouldn't call him, Uh, you know, there's still a chance that it doesn't work out. He didn't live up to, expectations are so dangerous, too, in this era because everything's on social media and... I, I mean, you're talking to a guy that covers the NFL draft for a living. Like everybody thinks all forty wide, thirty wide receivers in a class are going to be fantasy impact players, and like a handful of them even make an impact in on the league in long term. So it's and you cover the MLB draft. You're seeing it happen with baseball now. Like the hit rate is is very low in baseball in the draft. But I mean. When the MLB draft is going on, we're excited about every single player that hears their name called off the board. It's just very tough to live up to expectations.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's what it comes down to is living up to expectations for me. Uh, there's like Ahmed Rosario at one point was ranked the number one prospect in baseball. So, like, he was ranked as an elite player, and that sets expectations. People now have access to Baseball America, access to Keith Law and the Athletic, access Twitter. Yeah, and then Twitter, like, all this stuff, it just spurs conversation, and, you know, you see guys get traded, and people go, oh, the Mets gave up their 14th prospect for this guy. It's just like, uh, you have no idea who this guy is, (laughs) like, (laughs) at all. You have no idea. Don't even pretend. Like, I've never seen Andy Rodriguez play. I just talk to people that have. It's just, yeah, yeah, it's just tough. People just, and I understand, and it's great for conversation, and, Trust me, I appreciate you all reading my articles and listening to my podcast where I talk about it, you know, and and starting that conversation. But it's just, yeah, it's um, it's very public now. When I first kind of got into covering prospects, like it was super niche that like I did this. Like there wasn't, I mean, Toby High did it a bit, but like there wasn't a ton of people that really cared about it. So now it's now it's much more widespread. So yeah. It, it, but it's a good thing for the game. People care more. So I think it's a good thing in that way.
0: Dude, I can't wait for this. When this podcast becomes an MLB draft podcast for a couple of weeks. It, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. So it, it's good that it's exciting, but yeah, it does create the side of man. It's, it's tough, especially in New York to live up to the hype. All right. Last question in today's show from Jack S. And this is a question directed right at Joe. He says, Joe, What's your process for evaluating prospects? Do you watch tape? Do you go to minor league games camps? Do you read up on what scouts are saying about the prospects and make a general assessment from there?
1: A little bit of everything. I most certainly watch tape. I think I would be doing a disservice to people who now listen to me and people that read what I say if I just based it solely on what other people think. Um, and you certainly go through this with football. Like if you didn't watch tape and you just listened to your friends, like in, in the, in, you know, in the industry, like you wouldn't really yeah, have, what am I offering? Yeah. You really wouldn't have your own opinion. So I most certainly watch tape. I definitely go to minor league games a handful a year for sure. Um, the problem is traveling, you know, I don't always get down to Florida. So sometimes there's a year where I don't see, you know, a, a high level Mets prospects. He spent the whole year in Florida, So that's when I rely on, you know, friends I've made in the scouting industry and the Mets organization. And, you know, I watch some tape and then combine opinions of people I trust. And, you know, that's kind of really how I how I get to my evaluation. And, you know, there's times, you know, when I put out my top 20 list, I have people that message me that, you know, in baseball that think I'm right about some things, wrong about some things. And that's cool. That's that's the whole point of this is to have an opinion do the research and then have an opinion. And yeah, I think it's it's really I, I do the study myself. I certainly go to games, I speak to players, I speak to coaches. Um, I watch from behind the plate. I sit basically near the scouts because that's the best view. Um, I could sit in a press box and eat cheap hot dogs, but I don't. I'm there for a purpose, so I sit near the scouts and watch from that perspective and you know, I have to invest in a radar gun because usually I just cheat off somebody else's. But I have to invest in a radar gun so I could do that myself. Um, but yeah, and then, I, and then I trust my friends uh, in the game. So I think I, I have some well-placed scouts throughout baseball and certainly within the Mets organization that, you know, if they, if they tell me something, I, I certainly listen. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I go about it. And I'm sure everything I just said relates like, exactly to what you do in your football study.
0: Yeah, it it really does. I think there is a value in all of that, right? Watching tape is always the foundation because it's it's how you get to know who these guys are in games. And then going to games, you know, at the amateur level, um, there's a lot you can get from it. I always thought that, you know, seeing games in person can definitely help with certain things, not everything that you, you just get from the tape, but there is a lot of walking out on the field before the game and, and seeing players and body types and uh, how their energy is now they're built and all those things. And of course, you know, what scouts say about guys, mental makeup is something that typically is very hard to get access to unless you have somebody on the inside like that. And I think that goes a long way. So and it's just healthy conversation to kind of go back and forth about players, you know, Things that you like, things that you don't like, and or somebody might see it a different way. So all those things apply and it, it's, it's really goes across sports. That's why I've enjoyed being a fan of the MLB draft. I mean, that's how I, you know, I met Joe. I would just bother him on Twitter and be like, what's the deal with this guy that the Mets might draft? And it's, you know, it's, I enjoy being a fan of it because it's, it's like seeing a similar process to what I do full-time with football, but also different. There's different layers to it and i think with baseball the high school element is just insane to me insane to me like you don't know how a guy will grow you don't know how much stronger he'll get you don't know how he'll change his personality or uh, there's a million different things like it, it, how will they handle right? how will they handle
1: going through the minor league system like where a big difference in As football a kid. is all right the jets If they don't trade for Deshaun Watson, at number two, they're going to take, you know, Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or whatever. And guess what? Justin Fields and Zach Wilson are going to be on the Jets the next day. They're going to be in practice, and then you're going to see them play games in September. In baseball, you draft a guy, and you may see him in a year if you're lucky, but it's more likely to be, you know, two to four years, depending on when they get drafted and how do they handle that whole process. And signability comes into factor in the MLB draft. So, like, if if a guy's not... That's how the Mets got Matt Allen, right? Matt Allen in the third round, I had him as a top 10 player on my board. When he fell out of the first, I just said, well, okay, guess he's not signable, and that's that. He'll just go off to Florida, and we'll revisit in a couple years, and then the Mets pulled it off, so that was great. But signability matters. It's not... As much as it sucks, I always... The theory is is nice to go best player available in baseball. It's just not realistic. Um, You go best player available, that's signable, essentially. And sometimes these things are worked out before the draft even starts. I mean, I've heard stories of teams that, you know, pick 10th and knew who they were taking at number 10 like a week before the draft, just because they had a kind of pre draft deal worked out. And, you know, that, that kind of stuff happens. Whereas in, like, football, I mean, the Dallas Cowboys, my team, so I'll talk about them really quick, like, they drafted C.D. Lamb because he fell to them. Easy as that. In baseball, sometimes a guy will follow you and you'll be like, I was not prepared for this guy to fall to me, and I don't know if he's going to sign at the number that we need because teams plan the draft out, like, financially. So they say, all right, we're looking to spend, you know, x amount in the first round so that way we leave an extra million dollars to spread around in the other rounds so it really becomes like a a, a mathematic equation combined with trying to identify the best talent and get them signed it's it's very complicated um and yeah we're obviously going to cover it plenty and as we get closer to the draft which this year's during the all-star break so it's not till july so it's a month later um you know we'll we'll get into everything and you know, I'll see what I could do about, you know, maybe we'll get some draft prospects on the podcast. We'll see if we could get some scouting stuff on here and get some opinions outside of just mine. So, it'll be it'll be a fun time, but the draft in MLB is definitely a different beast.
0: Yeah, and they're doing a good job making it a little more mainstream. You know, you've seen it over the years. The coverage has gotten a lot better. I thought this was the first maybe this year or two years ago where I watched all of it on TV and I was like, "Wow, this is getting it's not there yet but you could tell that they want to get it closer to the, how the NFL draft is, or I think it's, it's getting more comparative to the NHL draft is phenomenal, like phenomenal. It's not the NFL draft, but there is still a lot of excitement in the NHL draft and they're trying to at least get it on that level as well. So it's good that it's a booming industry. Um, you know, it's as much as the Mets have a lot of money now, they've said it themselves. They really need to attack the draft and international free agents and build up their farm system. And it'll be a huge part of the show that quite frankly, I don't think you'll you'll get on any other Mets shows. So with that being said, Joe, closing thoughts, episode 27. Yeah, big episode.
1: I don't even know how long we went. We, we had a lot to cover today. So it was exciting. And, you know, things are starting to trickle in. You're seeing Marcus Simeon sign, like we mentioned, and, you know, things are going to start moving. So maybe you'll Maybe you'll hear from us before next Tuesday. It's not impossible, but, um, yeah, please keep listening. Uh, Appreciate everyone's support, and, you know, follow the podcast on Twitter at That's So Mets Pod, and the amount of questions we get it's amazing to see the support that this podcast is getting. And it's so tough to just pick three to four questions in a week because there's so many good ones. So please keep them coming. And, you know, we'll, we'll try to get to everyone that we can, you know, week by week, episode by episode. And, you know, certainly subscribe on iTunes and Spotify where you get podcasts. Leave five-star reviews, ideally, and, you know, write out some reviews for us. I read every single one. And you know we'll incorporate them into the show. Certainly, at least you know every other week or whatever. So yeah, please keep on supporting. We really appreciate it. And let's go Mets. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics.
0: My white coaches just said you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're black. It's the story
1: of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices.
0: I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.